Hello friends, it's Mark from Real U Radio coming to you live in Studio B right here in the OKC. I'd like to start a subject today. I don't know how long it'll take to get through it. I don't know where we're going to end up. I just want to share some things that I've learned along the way in this journey. Last couple of three years, I would say maybe three or four, I was kind of striving to go deeper, I should say. And and let me say anything that I share is just for observations, just for revelation, just for things to just to help your walk because it's helped mine. And, and a lot of times I will share ideologies and a lot of times they're practical things that I've actually practiced. And today I'm going to share some things with you uh, concerning how to manifest the, the divine nature, which is the life of Christ manifest through us, in us, and with us. And I'd like to start a new series of discussion today in John chapter 20. And um, it's a pretty amazing chapter. Um, But i kind of like to talk today a little bit about uh, the power of vulnerability. Um, I know it's not a popular word or easy to lived out task because of just people are people in general and some of them are unprocessed and some of them are not and some of them are organic and some of them are man-made and there are just a lot of issues with living in vulnerability but I do believe there is a spiritual attribute and, val- and value to living and practicing vulnerability um, and we'll get into that as we go um, in the olden days we called it humility but I like I think vulnerability speaks more clear as what humility is um over the years humility's been meaning to mean you know giving preference to others honoring others more than yourself and that's part of vulnerability but a lot of vulnerability is being um walking humbly within your own self and learning how to live in the now because i've learned that, that god really is in the now now abide these things faith hope and love and faith, hope, and love is always active in the now. It's it's not a, something you um, build up or whatever. It's just something you live in in the now. Grace works in the now. Everything works in the now. God is in the now. Um, and obviously, he was in our past and he'll be in our future because he's inside and outside of all time, not contained by any time at any time. So anyway, with that said... Um, it's it's a it's a subject I've been on for a while vulnerability and now I'm starting to see uh, spiritual significances that show me that there are some value to practicing vulnerability. Um, the word vulnerable in itself is not a very fun sounding word. It the word vulnerable in the dictionary means to Uh, Be capable of being physically or emotionally, mentally wounded, open to attack or damage, uh, open to criticism. Um, It comes from a late late, uh, Latin word, which means vulnerare, to wound, or to probably close to pluck or to wound in Greek. Um, It doesn't sound like an exciting word, but beloved, it is the most powerful word. thing because to live vulnerable you have to you have to walk transparent with those that you can those of like precious faith those kinds of things 
You have to be transparent. You have to be, um, the word transparent really means crystal clear, see-through, um, easy to perceive and detect. And the, and the more transparent you get and become, the easier you are to be loved because there's nothing to figure out about you because this is your, this is it. This is, uh, you've, you've come to a realm of transparency means you've allowed past light to pass through you. So in John chapter 20, if you start in verse one and go all the way down, there's three amazing accounts and I don't, I don't know how far we'll get in this talk or how far we'll observe, but in John chapter 20, verse one is talking about after the resurrection and after the third day and they had buried Jesus and the first day of the week came verse one, Mary Magdalene ran and she saw the stone rolled away from the grave. So then she came. So she went and saw something different. She's observing a change. Um, she didn't know what to expect, but she expected something, but she didn't know what to ex- that expectation was. That's kind of like knowing God's about to up to do with something and you don't know what it is, but you know, it's going to happen, but you're not really ready for it. And no one could warn you what it would be like anyway. So then as soon as she saw that, I'm going to paraphrase this first section for you because, uh, we'll get lost in there and I, it's not what I want to talk about today. But it's important to the narrative. Um, my good friend, Pastor Coleman, used to tell me that you have to stick with the content because the context is within the content of the scriptures. So I don't want to pick and choose, but I just want to show you this really cool thing that's happening. So abbreviated version, she runs to John and Peter. John names himself as the one of disciples that Jesus loved, and they ran to the Grave, and it says that Peter did not outrun John. <laughs> John outran him. John came to the grave, and Peter actually went in, and they both saw the napkins for where his head and his and his clothes were, and they were folded. And what was funny is, um, the scripture says, I'll, I'll read this to you in John twenty eight. It says, and then came the other disciple which is John came first into the grave and he saw and believed for as yet none knew the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So they had come to the grave and they had no, they had no idea about what's going to happen, but for whatever reason, which I have a few ideas, they saw, they saw, uh, they didn't experience anything revelatory because the scripture says that they believed yet they all went back to their own home. Now, if they had believed that he had rose from the dead in its fullness, they might've believed they might've assented to it mentally and said, yeah, we believe he's not here. He resurrected. They don't know what that means, but it's a whole nother, uh, experience that, that Mary had. And so, um, we, we may come back to this again someday, but in the first rev- there's a, what I call observation without revelation is they knew that he wasn't there. They did not know that he had resurrected in his fullness. They did not know what that meant. And they all went home to their own home. And so nothing about 
seeing that gravesite or observing it did any good. That's why people have to be ready to see what they're ready to see. And they have to be ready to hear what they're ready to hear. And um, that's why we got to be careful of inviting people. We need to invite people into communities of faith. We need to invite them to um, a family of God, the families of faith. Because if we keep inviting them to events, um, we might, they might just walk in and walk out. You, you see what I'm saying? And so, yes, it's important to bring people to the family of God through the church. It's important to bring them to events. I'm not saying don't. I build my career on it. But I'm seeing more and more that to get the raw depth of just the life of Christ that they're going to have to live out. They're going to need something a little deeper. And so then Mary observes this and they leave and she's weeping out the very same grave that they just left. She's had an encounter with God out there. Um, I like to point out that she said they, you know, this man, she saw these angels and she heard someone speaking, but she didn't know it was Jesus behind her. She supposed him to be the gardener. So there's a lot of uh, spiritual activity and carnal activity because when you try to process the spiritual event with your carnal mind, you come up with things not quite clear. So the revelation was something was happening. And in Luke, my, my favorite scripture part of this story is in Luke 24, it says they were perplexed beyond measure and like they were already way out there. So... You know, there was a lot going on and we won't get into all of it, but I will say this, that she did not recognize Jesus, howbeit she did talk to angels. Um, when she, when Jesus said that he was him in Luke 24, she turned around and saw, and then she realized it was Jesus, but she had thought he was a gardener. Um, I'll leave that alone right now, but she thought he was a gardener and, and she said, they have taken my Lord and where have you laid him? And so her revelation, her revelation had nothing to do with community. It was about me and Jesus. And I'm here to see my Jesus and my Lord and no one else is here, but I'm here. But thank God. I, you know, that not saying she had that attitude, but that was the language that is written down for us to observe. And when she saw him, she reached out to touch him and he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and to your God and, and to my God and to your God. And she came and told the disciples. Well, I'm sure now the disciples are totally um, perplexed. And so that's where I want to pick up today, talking a little bit about vulnerability. And we'll just see where this goes in John chapter twenty nineteen. It brings us up to the speed of the story here. In the same day, that night, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. I love this part. John twenty twenty, And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them the Holy Ghost. The scripture says that the disciples were glad. So let me set it up for you. I, 
can't pretend to know everything that was going on in their mind. But it says they were afraid for fear of the Jews and they had gathered together. I don't know if they wanted to have church, but I'm sure they probably didn't know what they didn't know what to do. They're sitting in there. They're in fear and meeting in a room of fear and everyone's don't know what to think. And he appears and shows and that in itself, here's the power that in itself is a not enough revelation, seeing the napkins Hearing his voice through a, a, a an event like Mary did, that in itself was not going to be the determining factor for him leaving all the tools for his disciples to build kingdom community. And we we have built on come see the empty grave, and we have built revelations, and we have built uh, ministry and wonderful things on the mystical experiences and and experiencing angelic visitations and those kinds of things and revelatory words. But there's one thing that Jesus chose to build the the power of his church on. And that was the fact that he came in in resurrected form. He came in John 2020. See John 2020. Perfect vision. If you go to the eye doctor and you have 20-20 vision, I'm told that's perfect vision for a humanoid. So, if you want to have perfect 20-20 vision, this is what's going to have to happen. Jesus is going to have to show you his hands and his sides, or in other words, his wounds. And when he showed him his wounds, then were the disciples glad when they saw their Lord. I I don't know how to explain it to you. I, my mind works a little different, but I think Jesus was glad as well that they were glad because they finally got the message. They didn't get it when they ran to the tomb the first time and saw the napkins. They didn't get it when Mary came because they can't get it from her. They're just something you're going to have to get by for yourself, but not by yourself and not with yourself because Jesus told Mary, go to the brethren and there, there, I will visit you. <clears throat> Up there in John chapter twenty seventeen, said, go tell my brethren that I've not yet ascended, but go to my brethren and say, I ascend to my father and your father. Show them the relationships that we have now. And so a big part of what I feel that Jesus did at that time was he was transparent. He was vulnerable in that moment. He did not know. Vulnerability is that amazing power to be transparent in the moment, but to own it. And it's, it's hard to explain what it, what it is and looks like. It's, it's, it's uh, being open, being present, being vulnerable, being um, open to maybe even be able to be wounded. You know, I heard a while back years ago that, you know, love, when you really love someone, that means you give someone the power to wound you because to love is to open yourself to, you see what I'm saying? You open yourself to, and when you open yourself to the kingdom life and you really want to live it and not just observe it, then there's this, you're going to have to be transparently vulnerable in your community 
because that's the power that Jesus, that's the last thing Jesus did before he left, before he ascended. One of the last things that we know he did as the group as to start the church. He started the church on this foundation. I mean, other than the last supper and the communion and the resurrection and the life, all the wonderful things he did. But it's amazing that one of the last things he did was come back and show them his wounds. I've been told by a friend of mine years ago that Jesus was crucified in public and he resurrected in private. And that's exactly the opposite of the way we like to do it. We like to get crucified in private and resurrected in public. And it doesn't work that way because it just doesn't. That's not the the value of vulnerability and meekness. Um. Vulnerability is best described, you know, as the humble lifestyle to be honest with God and oneself. Um, it's just being transparent, being true. There's a lot of cool words being uh, spun out today, like being true and being real and being observant and being transparent and being vulnerable and being messy. Uh, we call it being messy. Um it's it's part of being real it's it's we have hid ourselves for so long that we do not know how to handle a mess and it's amazing that um we all have it and we all observe it i love what dr brene brown teaches on if you have never read her books you owe it to yourself to to do it um it's just amazing um she she's a shame researcher and um out of Texas I believe and um I tell you her books really rattled my cage and and really shook some wonderful things into me and it's ascended in my walk as far as my personal transformation and development in walking like him because that's really all I still want to do so let's get back to the story the disciples were glad when they saw him and they were glad, which means to rejoice exceedingly, to be incredibly overwhelmed and filled with joy beyond speakable. And I love the vulnerability stories because uh, Dr. Brene Brown also said on a wonderful speech she gave about the man in the arena. She says, uh, you know, vulnerability comes, it's not an easy task and it's not something that you're just going to learn it and go presto, there it is the rest of your life. But vulnerability is this practice of uh, observing to be open because she, like, I believe what she says, without vulnerability, there's no creativity, there's no love. And when you, when you build walls around yourself, um, if you build walls around yourself trying to, um, you know, defend yourself against hurt and harm and you're trying to live vulnerable, you're going to be a very confused individual. And uh, it's just it's just not going to be what you want it to be. So, um, you know, you just can't get to that place where you don't care what others think or live like that because, I mean, you want to be that way and you, you, you want to be that way where you don't care what others think, but you, you care what others think in the sense that you have to be human and it's part of growing up in the human. You don't have to put the, as much emphasis on what they say, but it's always a good idea to observe what people say. 
to you and about you. And so back to our story. Jesus practices vulnerability. That's what I'm seeing in this, where I'm at in my life right now. Jesus is practicing vulnerability to the disciples by the fact that he is actually revealing his wounds, or in other words, the trials of his faith, or the um, the, hand, the the wounding at the hands of evil men, or however you want to observe it. But Jesus was vulnerable, and let me tell you what vulnerability does. Why I love why I love it so much because vulnerability has the power to dissipate fear and ignite faith. It has the penalty, you know, the man who is wounded is always at ease with the man with the scars. And that's what I'm observing. The man that, with the wound is very comfortable with the man with the scars. Why? Because scars, listen to me, scars are a very important part of your life. Um, it doesn't mean always that it, something was your fault or that it had to happen this way or whatever. But the fact of the matter is scars tell me that you've been through some things and you've been healed of some things. And what scars really tell us most about vulnerability is scars are vulnerability with scars says this. I lived to tell the story. And that's what Jesus did that, that day, that evening when he appeared and he showed him his hands and his side he revealed his wounds the disciples were glad the fear dissipated and he and he chose to build his church on this idea that i can reveal my wounds in my community and people will be strengthened and it's the power of god not only the cross but the resurrection of the cross and so i just believe that many of us today I've been practicing vulnerability and God wants us to, but we just need to be observant in it. And what we're really doing is helping others because we are standing up and saying, I lived to tell the story. And when you can do that, you can pass on the reality of the great revelation of the overcoming power of God. We'll see you next time, friends. We'll pick up where we left off. God bless.